feeling amazing today. Thought, well, this is as good a day as any to just, like, not work, it being Saturday, and uh, relax with an enjoyable movie. And there was no enjoyable movie to be found. So, yeah. Quick introduction, everybody. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time. This is the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture that is still available to be watched in order. (laughs) Without having a special dispensation from UCLA, which is increasingly becoming a problem, strangely enough. (laughs) And then when we've watched all of the movies in a particular year, we will tell you if the Academy chose correctly. This week we did not watch East Lynn, or at least not the one from 1931. Actually, I didn't watch Eastland from any year, but apparently there's like five of them. And the only one you can't find is the one nominated for Best Picture. This was apparently a weird-ass year for movies, judging by the two we have watched and the one we did not. Because it seems like literally everything from this year has gotten remade like four times under a different title, including this week's movie. Or the same title. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so this week's movie... The front page, which was, yeah, go ahead, (laughs) which is apparently a screwball comedy, which Wikipedia informed me of after I had watched the entire film and could not figure out the tone of the thing I just watched. Yeah, see, I read the Wikipedia uh, plot summary first, and and this definitely follows uh, one of our three rules, which is the shorter the Wikipedia plot summary the worst the movie actually maybe two it also has a pretty good poster which usually indicates that the movie is not going to be amazing yeah now i hesitate to say that this movie was weird because that was really what we said so much about cimarron last week you're right and cimarron was weird (laughs) this movie just like it was incomprehensible yes in in an extremely literal sense Like, I am so lucky that I found a version of this film that had been captioned for educational purposes because, my God, everyone is doing, like, 1931 fast-talking reporter voice. And all over each other at the same time with a lot of slang I don't know. And actually, they might not be using slang. It's just they're in that transatlantic accent so much. Yeah. That I didn't know what people were saying. So tell me what this movie was about. Okay, well, I mean, here's the thing. One of the reasons the Wikipedia plot summary is so short is that the plot does not really kick in until about an hour into the movie. The plot does not kick in until the accused murderer escapes. I did manage to catch that, and that was why... When I sent you a text of, like, I have to rewind some of this movie. (laughs) Oh, that, by the way, is one of the weirdest things in a movie I've ever seen in my whole life. Because (laughs) I feel like we've watched three separate movies with prison escapes. And every single time I've said, this is the weirdest prison escape I've ever fucking seen in a movie in my entire life. But this one is genuinely even weirder than the casual takes about 30 seconds prison escape from the big house. Because... In this one, the prisoner escapes because they've brought in a psychiatrist to analyze him who has him reenact the crime. And in order to have him reenact the crime, they give him a gun. So the the sheriff of town just hands the prisoner his gun and then 
promptly the guy shoots the psychiatrist and escapes with the sheriff's gun. Which is, I think, supposed to be like a screwball comedy thing about just like no one's good at their job, but instead plays as like, what? Like, I rewound like twice to be like, did I, what did I miss? What is the thing that I missed? And I missed nothing. That's actually like a major plot point of the movie is that the sheriff is so dumb. He handed a man condemned to die his gun just because somebody told him to. A man can condemned to die for shooting a police officer. Yes. He's like, oh yeah, here, have my gun. It is also super weird that this is a screwball comedy because it is, in actuality, one of the darkest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I definitely got that. There is a scene with the, like, young scrappy reporter who's gonna quit because he's he's gonna marry his fiance. Mm-hmm. Is it his fiance that they're, that all these guys are threatening at one point? Or that's, like, the assistant, the secretary. I really couldn't tell that those were two different people. Oh, th- that is, yes. There's the fiancé, there's the prostitute that was involved with Earl Williams, who is a different person and is the one that all of the reporters basically threaten to death. Oh, okay, so that's the one. Yeah, I mean, they literally say, shake it out of her, and then somebody says something else, and then the next guy says, just slap it out of her. And I, I was like... I haven't understood any of this movie until now, and it's when they're threatening a woman with violence as a gang of men. It is batshit to me that this got remade as His Girl Friday. Which, I mean, I guess that movie isn't exactly, like, not misogynist, but, like, boy, this movie is fucking dark. Everything with Earl Williams, like, there's this scene where he just, like, is desperately trying to explain that he's not a Bolshevik but an anarchist and like talking about with real passion about like trying to help people while our nominal protagonist who is supposed to be like the best guy of all of these newspaper reporters is plotting how to hide him from the cops specifically so that he can get the reward money when he eventually helps him escape just enough that he can turn him in for the reward money. I mean, I guess had I caught the whole thing about him explaining that he's not a Bolshevik, he's actually an anarchist who believes in mutual aid, I would be like, oh, okay, that kind of resonates. <laughs> yeah. Like, I understand this. This this part of this movie continues to make sense in 2017. Except that, except that I didn't. First of all, Earl Williams is played so maudlin- that to say this movie is a screwball comedy, even if everything else was the fucking Marx Brothers, would be impossible. And that's the other thing. is like everything else is definitely not the Marx Brothers. No. <laughs> not even a little. I mean, the main plot line is that like our main character, Hildy Johnson, wants to go off and get married and quit being a reporter and go to New York and work in the advertising industry. I think the movie wants you to believe keeps getting like lured back in by his editor, but in fact seems just like completely uninterested in his fiance or anything other than 
being a reporter a job which makes him miserable (laughs) when given like half of a chance to continue doing it he takes that chance every time throughout the film and like is in this horrible codependent relationship with his terrible job like gives up five hundred dollars for a scoop for a paper he has ostensibly quit (laughs) right and then asks for a refund and is surprised he doesn't get it just it's awful this guy's life is awful and he constantly makes it worse and except that there's occasionally like comedy patter so this is a screwball comedy I hesitate to even say that this movie was bad because there is part of me that feels like it's a situation where I was just so much not the audience that I there was no entry point for me. My fiance, Sean, talks about this all the time with Pride and Prejudice, where he's like, I respect the writing of that book, but I just don't care about the subject, so I couldn't finish it. I don't know. I mean, I get that, but like, I'm not sure this is an example of that. I kept thinking like, I wonder if this would work on the stage. I bet this would work on the stage. Like, everything's one set, right? You're mm-hmm. always in the friggin' press room of this jail. And I bet the sort of snappy dialogue stuff works better on the stage. And I bet that, like, you don't kind of have to stare at the dark heart of this thing if it's not presented with the kind of realism of film, if that makes sense. There's a way where you can kind of get away with stuff on stage where, like, you're not really thinking about, like, what this looks like off stage and what it really is. In Whereas in film, they'll, like, actually film the whole damn thing and you'll watch the whole thing and you'll go, like, oh, wow, this must be a really harrowing experience for this escaped convict and, like, I really feel for him. But whoops, I'm not supposed to because we're just going to lock him in a desk for 45 minutes and that's supposed to be funny. That is a gag that really does not work on film, whereas, like, shoving a person in a roll-top desk would probably be funny on stage, but is not in the movie. (laughs) There's that thing on stage where, like, that guy's, like, actually sitting there in the in the desk the whole time, right? Like, if this is... Mm-hmm. Not this specifically, but, like, you know, the fucking R. Kelly trapped in the closet style thing happens all the time in theater. Where just, like, somebody is in the room and everyone is talking about them, but they can't reveal themselves. And it works so badly in this movie, like, you constantly forget he's there because they're constantly changing shots to not have the roll-top desk in the shot. And then you're reminded and you're like, God, how long has he been in there? Christ, which is not the reaction you're supposed to have. I find it really interesting that you went with R. Kelly and Trapped in the Closet and not like Polonius and Hamlet. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Because I guess I was going for something where they're in there for a really, really long time. Like they're in there for the like whole second act. And I was kind of trying to get to this era of theater did that a lot. Right. And that is funny and it is farcical on stage. But you usually, you know, you see the person's feet sticking out or whatever. And it's the whole thing of like the audience is in on it. Whereas when he's just not in the shot and then like, Several scenes later, they refer to the fact that he's been in a small piece of furniture for, like, in movie time, hours. At one point, he, like, is clearly shown to have claustrophobia, which is one of those things where, again, I feel like if the makeup department had done a little bit worse of a job making him look like a prisoner on death's door, 
I would have gone like, oh, we're escalating the stakes. This is hilarious. And not like, Jesus Christ, all of these people are monsters. Out of prison into another smaller prison would be, yeah. was, was my actual reaction. You know, he's like cowering on the floor at one point. It's a dark movie. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this movie was produced by Howard Hughes. And it's like batshit to me that this movie is so damning to the newspaper industry, but seems not to know that at all. Oh yeah, the reporters in this movie are all terrible. And basically the first hour of the movie, where there is no plot, is just setting up that reporters are fucking assholes. Yeah, they're like the worst people on earth, with the possible exception of elected officials. (laughs) This is also like one of those... Again, I just think of it as a play. This is one of those plays where, like, the sort of convenience of the plot resolution angers me so much. There's a guy who's sent to give a stay of execution to the prisoner to keep him alive for political reasons, because everyone in this movie is a piece of shit. But then that guy just gets bribed to go away And then just comes back drunk and goes, you can't bribe me at the single most convenient possible fucking moment. You know, I've started watching all of the movies since, what was the last one for 1930? Uh, The last one that we watched for 1930 was, I think, The Divorcee. No, it was The Big House. Oh, right, right. So I've started watching them like ever since that movie with an eye toward what was the thing in this movie that appealed to the Academy. What is the moment that tells me why this was nominated for an Oscar? And with Cimarron, like, the whole movie is just Oscar bait to the point of, like, not really having a story. Yeah. Sorry, the cats are fucking around with something. So in that one, it was like, oh, well, it's literally, like, every scene. But in this movie, I could not find it. What made this a best picture option? I think they liked the cast. That's what I decided, because I I was having a similar issue. I think it's that they liked the cast, and also that this was just a weird fucking year for movies. Yeah, but see, I I looked up 1931 in film, because I was like, okay, so maybe this this was a bad year for Oscars, because, like, it was a bad year for movies. But you've got the triple threat of Dracula, Frankenstein, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and the Dracula with Bela Lugosi. You've got City Lights with Charlie Chaplin. None of these were nominated. That's, that's fucking crazy. Okay, yeah. Every single one of them could have replaced a movie that we have so far watched or been unable to watch. Yeah. Okay, then we're taking the simmer on thesis that this was the movie that like created the oscar movie into like this is i guess the year the oscars like calcified into rewarding specific things about films and not rewarding the best movies it seems like there's the kind of like advocacy thing of award shows where it's like more movies need to be like this and not that and they were just completely wrong The anti-genre bias goes back that far is amazing to me. I think that there's the anti-genre bias. And I also think that there's like, we need to do more stage to film adaptations. We need to do more things that like elevate the art form and make it be seen as art. The theater, the legitimate theater and not like, I don't know, fucking Dracula, which... Like, I feel like there's the Oscars, like, they're going to make fun of us. Like, <laughs> let's do something that's, like, 
that they're not going to make fun of. Maybe, but then... I don't know. One of the movies that's nominated that I'm also having a really hard time finding is based on a newspaper comic strip. Like, not even a comic book, but a, you know, a three-panel thing that's in the paper every day. Yeah, that's fair. I have no idea. Like, it's it does seem wild to me that, like, yeah, there are all of these, like, actually well-known 1931 films and none of them got nominated for anything because the Academy was in the mood for, like, screwball comedies about garbage men. I don't understand. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about this. There wasn't any set to be excited about. The costumes are just, like, it's a bunch of dudes in suits. The The women's costumes are not even remarkable. I mean, I was blown away in so much as I didn't understand it, so... I think you're supposed to be, like, blown away by the dialogue, and I was not at all blown away by the dialogue. Yeah, I feel like this is the first time we've just, like, straight up have not connected at all with the film. I think you're right in the in that way. I don't, I don't want to give it the credit of Pride and Prejudice, where it's like, it's really talking to its audience, and we're not it. But, like... Man, did we not connect with it at all. Not even enough for me to hate it. Oh, God, no. No, I would not give this movie that much mind share. I wanted to understand it. And, like, the only thing that the only thing that really connected with me I did hate, which was the threatening that poor woman with gang violence. I kept thinking, like, this is the movie that fulfills our tagline of that was a movie. Yeah. I'm so happy, by the way, that you're saying all of this, because I definitely left this movie going like, did I not pay enough attention to this movie? Did I, like, really need to focus on this film in a way I did not? Because I was, like, watching it, but I was also, like, watching it with, like, Twitter open on my phone and not, like, watching it. And I thought, like, God, did I just fucking, like, ruin the sanctity of this project by only giving it 80% mindshare or something? And, like, no, I just think this film is, like, almost impossible to follow. And, like, I kind of feel like being very hard to follow is, like, the appeal of the film. I mean, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Like, do you remember when, I, I don't know, you're slightly older than me, so this probably, like, hit you differently. But, like, I remember when Dawson's Creek came out and everybody decided that the dialogue in that being totally unrealistic was like the appeal of it was what was great about that show that and the gilmore girls both yes honestly i kind of went with it on gilmore girls more than on dawson's creek there was like an in-universe explanation for rory gilmore talking like a 32 year old tv show creator (laughs) but like there's kind of i think this thing of like being in love with difficult dialogue that you see from time to time and i feel like it ages really badly i think this is like so that and so aged that it just like completely falls apart i kept thinking about it because it's not exactly you know noir dialogue we're not really into that period yet by a couple of years but i was thinking about like brick oh yeah that was a contemporary film but it was completely in noir dialogue and it's like you can make complicated dialogue followable and you can make it work, but you've got to be a really damn good director to do it. And also a really good writer. I just didn't feel like that was the case here. I mean, Sorkin does rapid fire dialogue and it's totally followable. Like whatever you want to say about him otherwise. Yes. I mean, it makes so much sense on a certain level that His Gal Friday is based on this because like the entire appeal of His Gal Friday is like 
this style of dialogue done well. But like it, I feel like is just, just that. It's like not even noir. It's this specific like newspaper from the 1930s and 40s. Everybody's just doing these withering put downs in such quick succession that like talking doesn't work like that. Right. And then something really, really dark happens and everybody just keeps doing it. Like, it's so weird. It was not a good movie, but it wasn't hateful. Well, now, I don't know. I don't know if we can give it that. Well, it was hateful. I didn't hate it because I just didn't connect with it enough to hate it. Agree. Like, there's kind of a thing where it's like the cartoony unreality of the dialogue didn't succeed in making the horrifying things that happened in the in the movie comedic. It just succeeded in, like, making me completely tune out. I didn't have any attachment to anything that happened because it felt unreal and not in a, like, comedy is tragedy turned to 110% kind of a way, but in a just like, ah, who gives a fuck? It's all Calvin Ball anyway. Like, none of this makes any goddamn sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very disassociative. It was like, okay, I can't connect with this either on a comedic or or on a tragic level. It was just, it was just dark and, and I, I just didn't care. Yeah. So, so I guess we'll definitely say for this, don't watch this movie. Yeah, no. And also I feel bad doing it two weeks in a row, but I'm going to have some real trouble for the reasons we just described, like rating it on a scale of one to ten. It doesn't deserve a five. Like, eh, who cares is not a five. But it also doesn't deserve a one. Because it's not, like, garbage. I just didn't... It just, I didn't care. Yeah, it's like, can we give it an N-A? Yeah. <laughs> and, in fact, should should we say, actually, this is the first film where maybe our tagline doesn't apply? I'm not sure this was a movie. I mean, it was definitely a movie, but that was that was it. Like, that was everything that I felt about it was like, yeah, they definitely put some actors on film and then they made it into a, a one long piece of stuff. <laughs> it was definitely a movie. <laughs> that was it. I love how much we had to resort to, like, seventh grade book reports. Like, the dictionary defines a movie as... <laughs> Because, yeah, I that that is pretty much how I feel about this movie. It is the equivalent of a book I had to read over summer vacation and now remember absolutely nothing about but have to say words about. Except that I just finished watching it, like, before we started recording. And I still, it feels like I watched it a hundred years ago. I'm going to give it an N.A. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 2.5. Okay. Because... <laughs> I don't want to give two movies in a row a N.A. You know what? Here's the key. It is a 2.5 question mark. The question mark has to be included at the end of my rating. <laughs> because it's just 2.5? That is that is what I rate this film. Fair enough. So I guess we should figure out, since we couldn't watch East Lynn. And I don't think we can watch Skippy either. I don't think... I'm not ready to give up on Skippy yet. Okay. We should pick a 1931 movie that should have been nominated instead because it still survived. I wanted to have us watch Frankenstein instead of East Lynn, but we both were just kind of feeling like garbage uh, for this past week and just didn't get around to doing it. 
I would like to nominate City Lights if we cannot find Skippy because it is batshit that City Lights fucking came out this year and the Academy didn't nominate it. What the shit? Also, Monkey Business, the Marx Brothers movie. Did Duck Soup like come out in the middle of this year? And No, 1933. 1933 is the year we have to be pissed that Duck Soup (laughs) didn't get nominated. We will get there. Don't worry. Oh, man. I, like, this is already going to be a long enough term project without us, like, going through every year and watching the five extra movies that should have been nominated. But, like... But this, uh, I mean, there are two movies in this year that we are probably not going to get to watch. And we already had to skip one for, was it 1929? Um, With the Patriot? Yeah, it was 1928, 1929. We've got this coming up one or two more times before we like hit the 40s and movie archiving becomes a thing 1934 also has a movie where the there is exactly one copy of the film still in existence and it's at ucla and it's at ucla we'll worry about that when it comes around but 1934 had 10 movies that were nominated i don't feel as bad if we miss one 1931 has five We've been able to watch two of three so far, and we may not be able to watch the fourth one. So should we do City Lights instead of East Lynn, or Frankenstein instead of East Lynn, and then City Lights if we can't find Skippy? Frankenstein instead of East Lynn, I think, makes some some sense to me. Actually, I have no idea why that makes sense to me, though it does. I guess it mostly makes sense just because trading Skippy out for City Lights totally makes sense to me in that, like, you know, they're very different films, but, like, it feels like Skippy took its slot, you know? Like, that is that is the movie that where City Lights would go. They would take it out and put City Lights in if they were doing that. Okay, yeah. So I guess for next week we're watching Frankenstein yeah. while we hunt for Skippy. Yeah, and then we'll let you know whether we're watching Skippy or we're forced to watch a good movie. <laughs> oh no! Cool. So until next week, when we will break out of our cage, out of our roll-top desk, <laughs> and uh, watch Frankenstein, this has been the screen test of time. And that was a movie... Asterisk. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. <laughs>